I'm Brett from Heinemann. In her book, Being the Change, author Sara Ahmed explores the importance of social comprehension in the classroom, understanding those often tricky to navigate landscapes of race, gender, politics, religion, and sexuality. In July, Sara spoke at the Nerd Camp Literacy Conference in Michigan about the tensions many of us feel during big moments in history. In her presentation, Sara shared with listeners her experience on September 11, 2001. As we reflect on the events that took place that day, we felt that Sara's story perfectly highlights both the progress we've made and the great lengths we still have to go to as a nation of teachers, learners, and engaged citizens. Here now is Sara Ahmed. Tuesday, September 11, 2001. Most of us remember where we were, maybe even who we were with, on that cloudless day of infamy, a day where everyone's identity was at stake. I was a senior at the University of Iowa, walking into my first class, then promptly running out in search of the nearest payphone to call my big sister, Samira, who was living and working in Manhattan. Phone lines were already down by then. The only thing I could think to do was to run home, turn on the news, and call my mom. She picked up right away and said, Your sister is okay. She is at home. And since you're okay, can you go over to the Iowa City Mosque and check on them? I know they're on your street. I went silent. I live a life that Jhumpa Lahiri, author of The Namesake and Interpretive Maladies, describes as hyphenated. On one side of my hyphen, I am American. By birthright, by schooling and soccer games, by barbecues and birthday parties, by public library card, by voter card, I am brown-eyed Americana, first generation. And on the other side of my hyphen, I'm East Indian. By blood and bangles, by saris and the smells of chicken and masalas and curries throughout my childhood home. But on 9-11, my hyphenated identity became a little more complicated. The invisible became visible. See, my last name is Ahmed, and I was raised Muslim. By Friday prayers, by Sunday school and summer school that I never wanted to attend, by a family who fasts during Ramadan, by a father who prays five times a day when he isn't playing tennis or watching tennis. But to be fair to my practicing Muslim brothers and sisters, today I more accurately identify as the daughter of two awesome Muslims. Indians, Muslims, immigrants, American citizens. So you can imagine how all those hyphens line up for a family like mine on 9-11. Americans, hyphen. Indians, hyphen. Muslims, hyphen. Immigrants. And why, when my mom asked me to go check on my fellow Hawkeye neighbors at the mosque, I finally reply, no way, mom. And in her loving tone that only mothers can employ, she retorts, I wasn't asking you. She gave me the look through the phone because she knew what was coming. Soon after the news broke on 9-11, the American public retaliated against their fellow citizens, people who were born here like me, maybe like you, people who pledge allegiance to the flag, who vote, who study, who pay taxes, who have a name similar to mine, or the visibility of a beard similar to my father's, or a headscarf like my aunt's even towards men who wear turbans, but they are Sikhs, a completely different religion. I felt the tension of identifying with the victims and with the perpetrators, a slight chokehold on my hyphen. American victims, Muslims, perpetrators, because that was what was immediately signed to me. My access to online check-in became an error message. Kiosks at the airport were not an option. And multiple times, I wouldn't be given a seat until boarding began. 
always last on the plane. One day I was finally bold enough to ask the airline representative why this keeps happening and she said, oh, it's not a big deal. Your name just matches someone on the no-fly list. So we have to run extra security before we allow you to board. Soon you'll be able to pay to get your name cleared. TSA PreCheck. It's not a luxury for everyone. It just affords us the same movement through an airport as everyone else. Many of the students you spend the better part of your day with will live a hyphenated life. Indian Americans, Mexican Americans, Latinx Americans, biracial, multiracial, multilingual, religiously hyphenated, gender hyphenated, culturally hyphenated, maybe you do as well. Today I speak in support of those kids, some silenced by the heteronormative white narrative that we have centered in this country. I humbly speak today as one of those kids, though we all have varying degrees of visibility. When I tell you it's not easy growing up hyphenated in America, the duality of your existence is questioned by implicit or explicit messages around you. You can be seen as just one of us or quickly ushered into a space of othering with one headline or news cycle or unit taught in school, neither of which you want. You are American when all is well, but quickly labeled by only other parts of your hyphen when convenient by the next oppressor. You may suddenly have to carry the answers for an entire community, be a spokesperson for the group, knowing full well that even the smallest, closest communities vary greatly in the diversity of their humanity. But you answer with discomfort, feeling the weight of your place in that moment and not having the language to say, well, I can't speak for all 1.8 billion of us, but... Kids that live a hyphenated life are constantly trying to get it right on both sides of the hyphen, as Jhumpa Harry puts it. They spend their day, their life, code switching through different norms, different spaces because of the way we default to center one race, one gender, one ability, one religion, one relationship in this country. I share the story with you today because in an age of 24-7 media inundation, our kids can come through the door, classroom, or home, carrying the weight of any news, any story on their shoulders and on their hyphen. And this student standing before you today realized what it was like to feel the implications of an event, a tragic event, on her own identity, but more importantly, on those who she loves most. So if you could just humor me for a second and take any recent news that you've read or heard this past year. A school shooting, a police shooting, wedding cakes, immigration, family separation, affirmative action, Starbucks, travel ban. Now who do you see? With whom do you share an identity? Racial, gender, religious, familial, either self-proclaimed or assigned. Is it the victims, the perpetrators, the upstanders, the bystanders? When we are honest and candid, when we hold up the mirror and dig deep, we may uncover some discomfort in the reflection. We may see ourselves in someone, but have the privilege to walk through this world never being targeted for that shared piece of identity. We may feel a fleeting tug at how we feel compassion for some, but not for others or how we remain silent in our shame but just can't stand up. So no matter how you feel, all of us need to remain mindful that the morning after news shakes our small towns, our nation, or our world. Someone nearby, a student, a colleague, family, will start their day feeling a little less safe solely based on their identity or on their hyphen. And those are the voices that we silence simply by doing nothing to make them feel safer. 
On September 12, 2001, my parents decided to dedicate the rest of their lives to visiting local places of worship and to discuss Islam because they know, we know, there is more power, more sustainability for humankind if we work to spread knowledge and compassion over paranoia, fear, and hate. We can't afford to create single stories and false narratives based on sensationalized news headlines and social media posts. We need to get proximate to the human story. It would be asinine to take the media profiled identities of repeated perpetrators like Adam Lanza or Dylan Roof, who have taken the lives of children in our schools and congregants in our churches and generalize to form a single story for young white American males, wouldn't it? So why is my father being escorted out of a security line to, in his own words, a hallway full of Muslims at O'Hare Airport? Why are unarmed black Americans under fire? Why are Latino American families scared for their children to walk to school alone for fear that ICE agents will intercept their kids en route to their right to access knowledge and books? Why are citizens being scrutinized or taken off planes for telling their parents on their phone, inshallah or assalamu alaikum, which literally translate to the same English phrase used by some of us who reach across the aisle or pew every Sunday and say, peace be with you. Our students see themselves in the human beings in the news we sometimes have the privilege of calling issues controversial or debates. Do we see them? Do we see their hyphens? Do they know we see them? And with all due respect, the legitimacy of my family's citizenship is not up for debate. My mother asked me to go over to the mosque in Iowa City not only because she is a Muslim, but because she understood that in that community, they too were Americans. American Muslims who mourn the same way we all did on 9-11 but she knew that headlines would silence their hyphen. This is a story from 17 years ago. Now it's 2018 and the world continues to hand us this curriculum. And when we get proximate to the human story, we find our identity in the humanity of others. That is all I'm asking for us today, is to get proximate. Get proximate. To the family who flees, danger walks across two countries to seek asylum, a human right, not a handout so their children can sleep safely at night with food in their bellies. To the parents who tell their son to put their hood down because she doesn't want him to suffer the fate of so many before and after him. To the child who is scared to come out to their family and friends. To the citizen who just wants to enlist to fight for their country but can't because they've been told their gender identity is a financial burden on this government. To the students and teachers down the road who are pleading to the courts for books and access to literacy. We often ask kids to put themselves in someone else's shoes before we give them the opportunity to voice what it is like to be in their own shoes. I have made mistakes in the past in that in my own fears of being dutiful and being okay with the status quo that I was working much harder to silence kids than I was to amplify their voice. And I have had to remind myself that we are not in the crusader savior business of giving kids a voice. They already have one and that we can be in danger of doing more harm than good when we don't believe that. So the question I am starting to ask myself is, how am I actively contributing to a system that silences kids? And as soon as I see it, what am I gonna do instead that centers their identity, their hyphen and voice? We can't be in such a hurry to get to the social media empathy Olympics or finish line with the most recent YA book on a diverse book list. Sit with those books those stories, read them again, and read them again. Pause and wonder what is happening to you in the transformation that writers like Jason Reynolds, Erica L. Sanchez, Angie Thomas, Min Lei, Lori Hulse Anderson, Samira Ahmed, I had to get that one in there, 
give us through their own voice. Then figure out how to get proximate in your reality every single day. Show kids that your shared school space is where they get to tell their stories. Ask them what they would tell the world with the pen, the mic, the platform they already have in their hands, and then get out of their way. Because a misconception of the reality of our world, one that I am myself guilty of buying into, is that young voices are not being silenced only by oppressive regimes and political leaders, but by the choices every single one of us makes each day. I've spent the first three weeks of the summer in the beautiful country of Guatemala learning the Spanish language and getting as proximate to the human story there as possible. And on the plane home, I read a story in the New York Times of a Central American man who was charged under this administration's policy with a legal entry while seeking his human right to asylum. And as the border agents pulled his three-year-old daughter away from him, she turned, confused, and asked her father where she was going. To summer camp was the fastest thing he could think of to make his little girl smile, and that was it. We come together today as super fans of kids and of literature and as students of literacy and history. We all know this. There's going to be a day in the near future where this generation of the world's children will write their stories, much like Anne Frank or Malala or the Little Rock Nine or Representative Lewis. They will be armed with the pen, with the mic, probably something like a talking hologram, and share with the world their truth. Narrative essays of being trapped in a classroom closet during the shooting, memoirs of separation from parents at the border, poetry from life in the cages, argumentative essays of why it is wrong to rip families apart or deny dreamers the right to education, snapshots of zip-tied hands and summer camp. And our kids, and the kids of our kids, will be the audience, the readers who will see their humanity in these kids and these stories. And they will have questions because we are raising them not to be silent. So when they look us in the eye and ask, did you know about this? Where were you when this was happening? We will have to look straight back at them as witnesses to history and tell them the truth. And I hope and pray that our truth sounds like this, that we spoke out even when it was hard, that we wrote that we read, that we marched, we checked on our neighbors even when it wasn't popular, that we voted, that we left our echo chambers to get proximate to people, and that we fought like hell to bend the arc of democracy towards the just side of history because if transformative progress is our goal, then every single one of us is a solution. Peace be with you all, and thank you for all you do for kids. Our thanks to Sarah Ahmed for her time today and for sharing this personal story with us. If you'd like to read what she wrote, we have a blog of that on blog.heineman.com, where you can also find out more information about Sarah's book, Being the Change. Thanks for listening.